fourth watch starts now. Everybody, you're listening to the Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight's going to be an examination of several movements that are gaining momentum in the modern church and the potential ramifications, as well as biblical exhortation. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval. Of the Fourth Watch Radio Network, I call this episode Death of the Local Church with special guest, Team Remnant Revolution. Well, it's Thursday again, and I'm so excited to be back with you all, and we have got quite an adventure for you tonight. I'm extremely blessed, and God is so good, ladies and gentlemen. I want to go ahead and say thank you again to everyone who's been so generous to give and further the good fight of the Fourth Watch Radio Ministries, and I pray that the Lord would multiply your gifts back unto each of you richly. If you're feeling led to help support this ministry, you can head on over to fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4, T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O dot B-L-O-G. SPOT.com, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you can easily give by clicking the PayPal donate button on the right side of the screen. This is a permanent link for any time you feel led to support the broadcast of the Fourth Watch Radio Ministries as we're growing and reaching more people each week. If you would rather mail your love gifts and support, you can write to Justin Fall, J U S T E N F A U L L, Fourth Watch, F O U R T H W A T C H, Ministries, P.O. Box 1145, Snellville, Georgia, 30078. Now, if you're a new listener, we're very grateful to have you tuning in, and we want to let you know that there is a brand new show posted every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard on the Fourth Watch Spreaker page, which is Spreaker.com, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. You can search Fourth Watch or Justin Fall. You can go to the Fourth Watch Blogspot page mentioned earlier. There's the Justin Fall YouTube channel, and you can also subscribe for auto-download in iTunes. Or you can easily just download the 4th Watch app for your smartphones or mobile devices for free. If you want the app, just search Justin Fall in your app stores for Apple and Android. Now, tonight we're going to be examining some elements of warfare that are being wrought about on the church by the church. I realize that sounds strange, and believe me, I don't even like having to say this, but there are elements in the church that are waging war on the church. We have to keep in mind that scripture is emphatically clear that the church in the last days will be in extremely strange states. And it is beyond evident that we're experiencing this right now. And we're seeing more and more attacks coming upon the real church, not only by the world, but also by other professing Christians. And these people seem to have some form of cultural, spiritual enlightenment, which is not only unbiblical, but when we do see these behaviors and these doctrines in Scripture, whether they be directly referred to or even alluded to, we are actually warned to flee from these teachers and their teachings. 
One thing we'll be examining tonight is the recent attacks upon smaller churches. There's a rallying movement to crush the small local churches and then in turn replace them with giant community center churches, which are set up as government corporations. Many of these megachurches, because of their shiny buildings and their unlimited budgets, have a huge influence and impact upon seekers by the masses. This has caught federal attention over the years, and the government has set up a special tax benefit for the churches who take part in the clergy response team. I've mentioned it before, but real quick, when a church joins the clergy response, they will be utilized by the federal government to desensitize their congregations to the governmental agendas. This is extremely important to the New World Order because these end times and satanic agendas need to be sold to the church in a way that they will buy into the acceptance and proliferation of these very agendas. And for cooperating with the New World Order, these pastors are given major earthly rewards in terms of tax exemption and special provisions. Of course, that's just one aspect of clergy response, and we'll have to examine it a little bit deeper in another episode But megachurches are the most desirable targets for the New World Order because their messages reach the masses. And the pastors of megachurches are often viewed as prophets of God. And people just take everything they say as gospel for the most part. Matter of fact, we saw a nationwide support by churches in same-sex marriage because megachurches and their pastors and other clergy response teams were selling this demonic lie to the congregations. Just as one example. Now, the war on the Second Amendment is another example of issues that are being pushed by the clergy response to persuade their giant congregations to lay down their rights to the New World Order. Now, not all megachurches are bad, and we will definitely cover this later on tonight. And in fact, there are megachurches out there that are doing great and amazing kingdom work. And some of them even have solid discipleship programs set up to honor the commandments of the Scripture. But some of these A-list megachurches are really fighting hard against the smaller local churches and even fighting against smaller discipleship-based churches if we dig beneath the surface. Now, before we go too far, I want to take everyone to Scripture as we set the scene. Luke chapter 12 starts off by explaining a giant multitude of people were gathered together. And this multitude was so large that they could not even be numbered. Because of the giant crowd, People were actually stepping all over each other, and it was a bit chaotic according to the scripture. But amidst this great multitude, Jesus made the effort to speak directly with his disciples as a smaller group. Verse 1, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. Now, why would Jesus pull his disciples together in this giant congregation and then start off by telling them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees? They were in a huge megachurch type setting, per se, and he starts out by warning his disciples. That's kind of interesting. Could Jesus be possibly warning the disciples of the hypocrisy that we see in giant congregations and the false teachers that run these organizations? Maybe so. But the thing we want to pull from this passage for the sake of tonight's discussion is the idea that Jesus did not rally up the innumerable multitude to preach to it, but he rather taught his smaller flock of disciples, even amidst the crowd. Of course, we have other instances where Jesus was preaching to large multitudes, and there's obviously nothing wrong with that 
Although giant congregations can pose many challenges to personal ministry, discipleship, accountability, pastoral relationships with the congregation, and even church discipline. So there's nothing wrong with preaching to a large crowd, as Jesus did it on a few occasions that we see in Scripture. But when we see Jesus dedicating so much time into the discipleship of the Twelve, we cannot criticize smaller flocks of believers who meet as a congregation. Size does not represent God at work. Let me say that one more time. Size does not represent God at work. And the majority of the time, we see Jesus sowing into his little flock and teaching his disciples as a small group. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was and is and will always be the ultimate teacher and example. Not to mention he is God. Now, by the time we get down to verse 32 in chapter 12, Jesus tells his disciples, fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. So when we get into this modern scenario and we see these professing Christians who are absolutely waging war against smaller churches, just for the sake that they're smaller, we can assume two things. The pastors who rail these accusations are not being led by the Holy Ghost. Because these pastors are, in essence, railing accusations against Jesus and his disciples. Not to mention the small congregations who met in houses in the early church. But also we see that these pastors who rail their accusations are also spewing venom in these demonically influenced opinions with no scriptural basis for their claims. But to the contrary. And why would a spirit-filled pastor of a megachurch or a spirit-filled pastor of any church want to destroy the local smaller churches. Well, I don't want to speculate here, but there is much to gain by these big corporate churches if the small churches die out. And furthermore, there is more governmental control and indoctrination that can advance in the modern church. Again, this is not an attack on mega churches as a whole, but it's an examination of a movement by certain mega church pastors to destroy the smaller local churches. Now, one last thing I want to bring up, and some of you are going to totally understand where I'm coming from here. I was talking with my dad as I prepared for this topic, and he told me a story that happened years ago. There was a particular church, and uh, one of our family members was working on staff at this church. The church had a vision to build a new campus, and everyone worked together to raise the money. All the pastors on staff, they said, hey, we will work for seven years without taking a raise. After the seven years, they had the funds to build the church. As soon as they built the church, it was on a beautiful property right there by a lake, and the numbers began to grow immensely. It went to 700 people, up to 1,000, and then 1,500. And the pastor, he said, guys, I, I can't do this. He can't keep up with all the people. He could not pastor all the people in the congregation. So what does he do? He resigns. I mean, what do you do? A church isn't going to downsize. I mean, granted, they could start a second campus and set up people there. But I mean, unfortunately, there's politics involved in those things. But this pastor left the church. He resigned for a smaller church so that he could be a real pastor and pastor the needs of the people. There's no way that one man, one pastor, can really sow into the lives of all these people. 
when they're in a giant megachurch. So with that said, I want to go ahead and welcome on Kay Carswell and BDK of Remnant Revolution, and we'll later be joined by Chad Riley in the next segment. Kay, BDK, welcome back to The Fourth Watch. How are you tonight? Hey, brothers. Hey, how's everyone doing today? I hope everybody's blessed. Absolutely. Yes. One of the focuses of Remnant Revolution is getting into the whole deception that the modern church is falling into. Because in order to be the remnant, in order to rise above all of the deception, it's so important that we understand the deception. We'll never rise above it if we don't understand it. So hopefully we're going to be equipping people uh, with this information we're talking about tonight. And, and every time we come together, we're going to be equipping the church, equipping the body in the ways they need to be equipped so that they can detect these things going on in the church. So with that said, can I can I just say something real quick, guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's allergy season. Uh, at least it is here in Georgia. And uh, if any of you out there are dealing with some allergies and uh, you want to start taking bee pollen, it's a great natural supplement. It's very inexpensive. But please, please, please take a small dose of it. Always start with a couple granules. I'm still getting over some of the effects of taking the full dose. And uh, I mean, I woke up on Sunday morning after I took it on Saturday night. I woke up on Sunday morning and I I couldn't even go to church. I was so uh, just laid out in bed. I could barely move. I was fatigued. Major allergic reaction, in my opinion. But at the same time, it could have just been the detoxing effects. But praise God, I'm feeling much better today. And I uh, just want to give that warning because I know a lot of our listeners are into natural medicine and, you know, the the homeopathic route, which I'm very much a fan of. But just be careful if you get involved in the bee pollen. Always start off with a few granules. Uh, learn from my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so with that out of the way, uh, we are going to go ahead and jump right in. We're living in a time where the churches are bringing in some very strange practices. Uh, they're also uh, bringing in these teachings that are that are just totally unbiblical. And we're seeing a major influx in the way that youth groups are operating and the youth pastors that are coming in fresh out of seminary, and they're trying to be so worldly, they're trying, and they're really just mimicking what their pastors are doing because the megachurches are trying to be so worldly that you can't tell any difference between the church and the world. So they call it seeker sensitive, seeker friendly, whatever you want to call it. The problem is, is that we're, we're turning the church into a playground for the world, and we're bringing in practices that are chipping away at the message of Jesus Christ Yeshua and at his gospel. So, BDK, why don't you tell us uh, what you found out recently about one of the largest megachurch pastors, uh, which just so happens to be here in Georgia, Andy Stanley. Well, ChristianHeadlines.com was one of the main sites that broke this story, and I'm quoting from their, their article right now. It says, Pastor Andy Stanley has said in a sermon that people who refuse to attend a large church are, quote-unquote, selfish, and that they don't care about cultivating a love for church in their kids. Pulpit and Pen reports that in a sermon that he preached on February 28th of 2016, Stanley talked about the benefits of attending a church with more than a couple hundred people. Stanley said attending a church that has separate youth groups for middle schoolers and high schoolers and many people with whom to interact will help kids to make friends and continue to attend church when they get older and go off to college. Stanley even asserted that if you don't go to a large church, 
you're so stinking selfish and you don't care about your kids, unquote. Now, Penn and Pulpit notes that Stanley appears to believe that the primary function of the church is friend-making rather than hearing the gospel being preached. So here is a clip, and it's about two minutes or so. I know we're going to break it up and talk about it as it goes along, but the clip that I sent Justin is in context. It's not chopped up out of context. It was approximately a two-minute clip of the whole thing that he made this statement about why there should be youth groups and why you're selfish if you don't attend to mega church. No, I, yeah, I just want to say that uh, you did send me the full clip, and one of the attacks that many of the naysayers will come at me with, uh, when we play clips, they say, oh, well, anybody can just take a clip and they can edit it to take something out of context. Well, that's not what we're doing here. Uh, everything that he said is in the two-minute clip, and it's it's just a segment, but it's very much to the point all I did, literally, all I did was cut it into segments. We're still going to play the entire clip, but I don't want to have to talk over him, and I don't want to have to go back and find you know, the hot points. So with that said, let's go ahead and just start with the first clip. And let me just remind you, this is the same pastor who allows homosexuals to be on leadership at his church. He actually uh, recommended that these two homosexuals divorce their wives so that they could practice homosexuality without falling into the sin of adultery. And that's a whole other topic for another time. We can play those clips as well. Uh, he went out of his way to really let people know that he is in support of the homosexual movement and that they should be able to be leaders in church. Uh, also, this is the same guy who was one of the keynote prayer speakers at Obama's, uh, what we just call interfaith prayers. And he also, he, he said Obama was the pastor of America. So this is the, this is the type of guy we're dealing with here. Um, and this is right out of North Point Church, which is in Atlanta. It's in a suburb of Atlanta. They've got tons of these little uh, mega church stations set up. They're, they're what they call um, satellite campuses. And what they do is they just play him on video every Sunday, and people learn from him on TV in the church. So they're, they're really working at killing the local church. And as you're going to hear, he's going to keep talking about the, the people need to love the local church, love the local church, but he's really, he's calling for the death of the real local church. And he's working really hard to kill the real local church. He wants everything to be mega churches where there's no accountability. Uh, literally, there's no accountability. There's really, it's a hard thing to have small group discipleship when there's no accountability. But anyway, I'm, I'm going on a tangent here. Here's Andy Stanley. We're going to go ahead and start with the first clip. The church, for me, has provided some of my lifelong friendships. And you know what's fabulous? The church has done the same thing for my kids. My kids' best friends right now, most of my kids' best friends were friends they met at church and at school, but mostly at church. And the kids that they went to church and school with, they are their dear friends all the way through high school and college. And for many of your kids, this is the same, this is the true, this is true as well. For me, some of my closest adult friends are adults that I've met, not in rows, but in circles. Because we say circles are better than rows, because in circles you have actual community. And it's been in community and community groups that Sandra and I have made some lifelong friends. That would not have happened for me. That would not have happened for us as a couple, apart from the local church. Okay, so right there on the surface, it sounds good. I mean, everything he's saying sounds really good. We're like, yeah, okay, I can agree with that. And that's the problem we're going to see here is that these pastors, they want to come out and they want to start off by telling you things that are true, but then they're going to really define what their version of the truth is. 
So they get you sucked in by saying something that you can agree with, but now it's time to stick the knife in your back and twist it. Now, this is one reason we build big churches. People say, why do you have to make them so big? Let me tell you why we make them so big. You probably didn't know this. This is kind of an insider secret. We want churches to be large enough so that there are enough middle schoolers and high schoolers that we don't have one youth group with middle school and high school together. We want there to be so many adults that there will be so many middle school and high school kids that we can have two separate environments. So when I hear adults say, well, I don't like a big church. I like about 200. I want to be able to know everybody. I say, you are so stinking selfish. You care nothing about the next generation. All you care about is you and your five friends. You don't care about your kids. Anybody else's kids are like, what's up? I'm saying, if you don't go to a church large enough come on if you don't go to a church large enough where you can have enough middle schoolers and high schoolers to separate them so they can have small groups and grow up the local church you are a selfish adult get over it find yourself a big old church where your kids can connect with a bunch of people and grow up in love the local church you are a selfish adult get over it find yourself a big old church where your kids can connect with a bunch of people and grow up in love the local church So he's defining what the local church is. I mean, the the first part of his statement, it's like, okay, this is good. We can, we can roll with this. You made some very good relationships in church. You got to have your kids loving the local church. That's what he's saying. But then he goes on to define that the local church is not a church of 200 people. That's garbage. Churches of 200 people or less. That's nothing. Doesn't mean anything to the Lord. It's garbage. And you're selfish if you want to go to a little church like that. Because your kids need a giant mega church because that's what church is. Well, I like the thing that he says, oh, well, I've made friends at church. That's cool. Like making friends at church is a good thing. But here's the thing. What's a friend? A friend and specifically a Christian friend. A Christian friend is someone that I can go to for Christian advice to say, you know what? I need someone to help hold me accountable because maybe I'm struggling with this area in my life. A Christian friend will call me out if I'm doing something boneheaded or sinful. A Christian friend will lift me up and my spirituality up to a biblical level. A spiritual friend will encourage me to be strong and do exploits for the kingdom of God. They'll be my closest brother. But what kind of friends are they, are they growing in these churches where they don't talk about sin, where they don't call sin out, where they don't hold people accountable, where it's a popcorn service for an hour on a video screen? When you're going into the youth groups, right? Well, okay, if your youth group is so discipling the children that they're just these on fire Charles Finney evangelist kids who know the standards of right and wrong, who are Holy Ghost filled soldiers of God, then cool, have those as your friends. But that's not what they're doing or teaching in the youth groups as we'll see later on. These friends that they're making are friends that you could make in high school or your local pep assembly or at a bar if you're a little older, or at a nightclub, or at a teen rock club like a rave or something like that. Because what you're doing is you're making the most generic of Christianized bumper sticker megachurch converts who are afraid to call the world out on their sin because they might offend a homosexual or they might offend somebody. Are they really going to be the type of people that are going to call you out on your sin? Because they don't want to lose you as a friend? And you can't even do it to a stranger? 
But everybody, everybody who's in attendance at these churches, um, for, first, let me just say this. There are some mega churches that are on fire for the Lord. Okay. I would be out of my mind to say that there's no such thing as a church with more than 200 people that's on fire. That would be ridiculous of me. So before I get any criticism here by anybody listening, I believe there are churches with well over 200 people that are gospel oriented churches who understand what a New Testament church is all about. But that's not what we're seeing in the majority. The majority of the mega churches have entered into this movement called the emergent church. Uh, we don't have time to break that down right now, but Andy Stanley is on a soapbox right now and, and he is being judgmental and he is criticizing anybody who doesn't want to go to a big church because they are selfish. Now, I just want to make a point real quick here. He, he, he attacks the person who, you know, he basically says their, their justification for a small church is, well, you're just selfish because it's all about you and your five friends. Well, let me just break down uh, the biblical narrative of discipleship. Okay. Jesus did not have 500 disciples. Okay. Jesus had 12 disciples. There was a reason for that. Jesus had 12 disciples for a specific reason. And he discipled those 12 so that they could go out and they could have their own small group discipleship programs and so on and so forth. But Andy wants to have this giant setup where it, it's a kingdom, it's an empire. And that's what we're seeing with these churches, their empires and whatever their, their most holy pastor tells them, they put it up there with gospel. So he's at the pulpit. He's now mixing his opinion with his gospel, which basically that's what we're getting in a lot of the mega churches anyway, a bunch of psychology mixed in. To me, I find what he's saying an extreme um, insult to a person's intelligence and their Christian sensibility because it seems to me like it is a, a little wrap of cellophane of lies trying to cover the truth. And we all know what he is saying is wrong. And I agree with you about the mega churches. There are some wonderful mega churches out there. But in the news, what we primarily hear about are the ones that are seeking the money. And in numbers is money. And if people like to go to the smaller churches instead of these great big mega churches, then they're losing money. And I think that is the angle that he's coming from. I'm not saying all mega churches, but from the sound of it, it seems like that to me. Well, it is a money-driven church. And anybody who, who's who gone to North Point, uh, if they have not stayed long enough, they might not realize it. It took me a while because when I was first walking with the Lord, I was going to North Point. I'll admit it. I was going there years and years ago. I mean, I was I was a young guy, but I've also told my testimony some of the problems that I had there. And it's a, it's a church filled with people that are sleepwalking for the most part. They hire non-Christians to lead worship. They literally hire professional musicians who are not Christians. Yes. And they'll tell you that. I know this for a fact. This has been validated. And their their rule, they've got a rule of thumb that, well, the guy who is singing, the, the lead singer has to be a Christian. That's their rule. But all the other musicians, well, no, don't have to be. Um, that's pretty much the gist of it. And I know this for a fact. I, I have a source that worked hand in hand with producing their media. And he told me this. They admitted this to him because he asked. He said, where do y'all get all your musicians from? They're very talented. Oh, well, we just hire professional musicians. He said, well, how do you find professional musicians that are Christians? Oh, well, you know, we, we don't have any rules about that. Most of them aren't, you know, but the, the lead singer has to be. That, that's our role. No. So you're being led into worship in a concert setting, first of all. 
Um, okay, you know what? We're not going to go there. We don't have time to get into that. It's off topic. But I just want to throw that out there. Uh, if you visit the bookstore at this church, which I've been several times, uh, it's loaded up with NIV Bibles. That's all, the only translation you can buy in their bookstore, at least when I went. Full stock of NIVs, various types of NIVs. And then wall-to-wall with Andy Stanley products. Period. That's it. Mm. Andy Stanley products. It's all about marketing this man and anybody who anybody who has friends who have uh, been followers of Andy Stanley, it's very common in conversation that they're so uh, I, I I don't want to use the word hypnotized, but it's just like they're hypnotized by him, and they come out and they say, "Oh, Andy, Andy, did you hear what Andy said on Sunday? It was so powerful, Andy, Andy, Andy." I've been there. I've heard it. I have friends who still go there. They still have not woken up to the lukewarm demonic breast milk that these people are grappling at like babies. Anybody ever seen a baby? Uh, you know what? I said I was not going to ever say this on the air, but you know what? I'm just going to say it. I got a friend who just had a baby. He and his wife had a baby and uh, love him to death. This little baby is just a gift from the Lord. When this little baby's not breastfeeding, he'll start to air breastfeed. You know, somebody will play the air guitar. I'm sure we've all seen somebody play the air guitar. Well, this baby will literally, and it's the cutest thing in the world. He's doing what's naturally been hardwired into him by God. But when he wants to feed, he literally goes through the motions of breastfeeding in the air by himself. And so you can see, well, he's wanting to breastfeed now. And that's what a lot of these mega churches, uh, the people, they're like those babies just grappling and grappling and grappling for this feel good. This, this feel good, uh, what I'll just call doctrines of demons because it is not in line with scripture. It's totally perverted. It's a mixture of truth with lies. And so just kind of like what Andy Stanley did earlier, he starts off by saying something really good and truthful and then he totally redefines what he just said. So that's what's going on here. But look, let me let me just reiterate this clip real quick. Let me let me go back and uh, th- this is just uh, just for the sake of the argument here. So when I hear adults say, "Well, I don't like a big church. I like about 200. I want to be able to know everybody," I say, "You are so stinking selfish. You care nothing about the next generation. All you care about is you and your five friends. You don't care about your kids. Anybody else's kids are like, what's up?" I'm saying, if you don't go to a church large enough. Come on, if you don't go to a church large enough where you can have enough middle schoolers and high schoolers to separate them so they can have small groups and grow up the local church, you are a selfish adult. Get over it. Find yourself a big old church where your kids can connect with a bunch of people and grow up and love the local church. So it's all about your kids growing up and loving the local church, but it's not a local church. It's a local church based on his definition, which is a mega church. He's saying that the local church is not a real church unless... They've got enough people there for the kids to be separated. Well, I just want to say this real quick, and BDK, I want you to chime in on this as well. Uh, we have both been youth pastors, and as a youth pastor, we did not have a large group in our church. We saw more growth in our small group, and you know, we had such a small group. We probably had, sometimes we had 20 kids, but we had a small group, so we kept everyone together. We had middle school, junior high, and high school together, and let me tell you something. Those sixth graders that were in our youth group They were accelerating in their walks and they were able to make relationships with the older kids. So there was accountability even amongst the age groups. It was something that I've never seen before. It was, it was so beautiful to see the Lord working. But you see, Andy Stanley doesn't believe in that. He doesn't believe in that because he says his way or the highway. So what do you, what do you think about this, BDK? Well, I was like you. I had a very small youth group when I first started pastoring. That was my first 
quote-unquote official duty as the assistant pastor was to head up the youth group. And we had a very small youth group. And our youth group wasn't it, – it had people from the ages of like 13 all the way to 17. So the it was kind of like middle school and high schoolers. And I'll tell you something. I purposefully did things to try to get them out of their shell spiritually – like we would go outside a lot of times. We had an inner city church and it was like literally drop dead in the middle of the inner city. And we would have our Bible study outside in the public park because the public park was like right next to the church. So people, we would pray in public. We would read the Bible in public. Sometimes we would just stand on the sidewalk and just hold our Bibles up for half an hour. Well, and we would go on outreaches. We would go to the local nightclub and pass out Bible tracts. We would actually go out into the mission field and we would go and engage people. And then when we were learning, we were learning the scriptures. We were learning about the gifts of the spirit. We were learning about doctrine. We were learning about memorization. We were, we were, we weren't trying to make friends. We were trying to make disciples. And I'll tell you something. I've run into people from my youth group. Many years later, even after I left the church, and you would be surprised at how many of them would stop and say, you know what, the thing I remember the best, the greatest thing you ever did for me was when I would stand on the street corner just holding up my Bible for half an hour. It made me so uncomfortable, but then I realized that God wasn't about making me comfortable. He was making me holy. And that is the thing. That's the thing. It's it's. Do we want to make friends or do we want to make disciples? Do we want a large church or do we need a small amount of people that can go and just radically transform their world? Because you were right on point, Justin. Jesus took 12 people. The rabbis had small disciples. They were small groups of people that followed them around wherever they went. And the reason for the small, small group dynamic was because they could question the teacher. They could ask questions. They could learn. It was a very hands-on process, and people's lives were radically shifted. My favorite passage, my favorite passage in the whole King James Version Bible is when they brought the disciples forth, They pan- the, the leaders of the city panicked, and they said, these are they that have overturned the world. And that doesn't sound like King James language, but it is. These small group of people were so radical in their faith, had such a unique way of doing church that is so foreign to the way that we do church now, that they made such radical disciples that they held everything in in common property. These people would die for each other. These people were brothers. These people loved each other with a holy, godly love. They were mature Christians. They made mature disciples who functioned in the gifts of the Holy Ghost, who went into their cities, their towns, and places where they lived and turned them upside down, King James language, for Jesus. And that's what the church needs to get back to today. Amen. 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 You know, I, I believe that youth groups are very, very valuable. And if I didn't, I, I would not have been a youth pastor. I mean, really, I, I believe that it's a, the kids are at a, at a, at a time in life. You know, they're, they're at that time where they're not always going to retain everything that mom and dad says. I mean, and really, if we're just being honest about it, that's the age where kids start to want to think on their own. And so it, it helps to have a spiritual leader 
who's not mom and dad, who can really sow into their lives and they can invest into them spiritually. Uh, and that keeps the kid with a, with a, a second source of information because if the youth pastor who has a whole different relationship with the kid, if they're sowing into their life and then mom and dad are saying things that confirm or vice versa, the kids are going to have a whole different respect for mom and dad because you know what? It's not just mom and dad. I'm getting this from youth pastor. And so I believe in the youth group. I totally believe in it. And furthermore, I think that if kids are in a certain atmosphere of a youth group, they're going to get totally molested when it comes down to learning the truth. Now, I'm not saying sexually molested. Their, their whole, the whole truth is going to get molested and they're going to get a, uh, an ecumenical, watered down, come in and let's just shock everybody with worldly stuff type of youth experience. So, and we're, we're going to get into that here in just a minute. I want to make one other statement and then you guys can comment. I've known people in my life. Now, I mean no disrespect if you're listening right now. I'm not, I'm not chipping away at your family system uh, that you may have been raised in, so please bear with me. But I've known people who, let's just say, mom and dad got a divorce. Some unfortunate events took place. Mom and dad got a divorce, and they were raised by one of the parents. Well, at some point, the other parent got back in the picture and said, well, you know, I want to start spending time with my kids now, even though I've been out of the picture for a while And so now mom is back in the picture or dad is back in the picture, but they're not mom or dad. They're a friend. Okay. Uh, and, and I've even known kids who, who, whose parents were not divorced, who had this situation. Their mom and dad were not parents. They were friends. And as parents, it's like, okay, I need to raise this child. I need to parent this child, not be their friend. Now, yes, there's going to be a good relationship there if things are done right, but regardless, Mom and dad's job is not to be their friend, but to be their parent and to be a spiritual leader. So again, this is not an attack on anybody. I'm just making a point that it's not everyone's job to be their friend. Now, look, BDK, you're my friend, but more importantly than being my friend, what comes first is the fact that you're my brother in Christ. We have to be willing to love the person with agape love. And and as I've said before, agape love is not about making somebody feel good. Matter of fact, Jesus was rebuking people out of agape love. I mean, that's what it's about. It's about loving people enough to tell them the truth. And I remember uh, my pastor, before he was my pastor, he was just a good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, I told him that people were really getting upset with me uh, for talking about Billy Graham and how he's uh, he's just teaching apostate gospel. And he said, you know, there's no nice way to tell someone that they have cancer. He said, but a doctor, if a doctor is being a real doctor, he's going to look them in the eye and he's going to tell them they're dying with cancer. No good doctor is going to know that you've been diagnosed. They've got your lab work. They're looking at your paperwork. They know you've got cancer and they're going to look at you and say, Hey, everything's okay. Everything's good. See, that's the, that's the situation that we're faced with in the church. It's like we have the lab work. The Bible has given us a litmus test for what's right and wrong. And obviously we need to make sure that our lives are where they need to be. That, that's the biggest, the first and foremost, make sure that you're walking with the Lord because if you're, if you're out there living in total a debauchery, you've got no grounds for trying to disciple anyone else. Now, neither one, none of us are going to be perfect. That's not the point of this. But the point is, if we're striving to live holy lifestyles unto the Lord, then we should want our brothers and sisters in Christ to be striving for that as well. So we have to hold people accountable. That's part of being a member of the body of Christ. Now, okay, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. I, we need to sum up this Andy Stanley clip. Let's just play the last segment for the sake of uh, continuity. We don't want anyone to uh, attack us and say, well, you didn't play the whole clip. So here's the last bit. 
you will have heard everything now. We did not remove anything. Instead, what you do, can you tell I'm passionate about this? Yeah. Here's what you do. I, I mean, I'm so sick of this. I hear this all the time. Well, I just don't like a big church. Well, okay, look, look. So here's what you do. You drag your kids to a church they hate. And then they grow up and hate the local church. And then they go off to college. And you know what you pray for? You pray there for there will be a, a church in their college town that they connect with. And guess what? All those churches are big. The kind of church you don't like. So let me move on. Let me just say this. Don't, parents, don't attend a church that teaches your children to hate church. Don't attend a church that teaches your children to hate church. I, I'm speechless. He, he's balling up every church that has less than, uh, well, well he's saying the, the, the standard according to him is a church of 200 people is garbage. And a church of 200 people or less is going to teach your kids to hate church. I, I don't even know what to say. The thing is, is that it's so ridiculous to say that if you don't go to a mega church and you don't have the hippest of churches or the, the most cutting edge of formula for doing service, that your kids are going to grow up and they're just going to hate it. And then they're going to go their own way. Kids don't hate church. Kids hate phony garbage. And Justin knows this being a youth pastor. I know this. Kay knows this being a mom and a parent. Kids can see through this stuff. And if all that we're giving kids is an entertainment version of the gospel, we can't do entertainment like the world does. And and it won't affect them the same way because worldly entertainment affects the flesh. And we can't just make a Christianized version of fleshly worship and entertainment and then bring it into the church and say, well, our kids are going to love it now because that that's what speaks to them. Well, you know what, man? Kids can see that you have hired actors up there. Kids can see that you're doing nothing but, but being Joe Smiley, um, motivational speaker. What kids really want is to have an encounter with the supernatural God of the Bible. Amen. That will change them. If a kid gets so full of the Holy Ghost, they're not going to hate church because they will understand that they are the church and they won't hate themselves. They'll see themselves as a person made in the image of God. They'll see their brothers and sisters as holy vessels. One of the most yes. damaging things that we have done in our church groups and I'm not saying that youth groups are wrong because I believe that there's a place where, you know, kids should get together and should study the word of God with their peers. But the main service where you take the kids out, you take the children out, and then you take these groups of kids out, and then you take the teens out over here, and you take the middle schoolers out, and then your main service is just for adults, is one of the most damaging things that we have ever done in church because it didn't used to be that way if you look at the bible everyone met in one home and they were all together and they all went through the scriptures together here's the thing that you don't understand andy stanley when the kids are looking for a supernatural encounter they are looking you know what's going to make them not hate church is to see their parents the adults on fire for god to see the younger people on fire for God, to not want to feel left out of the movement of God that's sweeping through your church. Judges, you know, we look in the book of Judges and everything should be biblical because I didn't hear Andy Stanley quote one bit of scripture to back up any of the garbage that he spewed. 
He was quoting from the book of Hesitations. There you go. And I I don't mean to just be so on fire about this, but you have to understand something. The Lord has burdened me with a heart for the youth like never before. Because as I study Bible prophecy, and this is a Bible prophecy show, The Remnant Revolution, that's part of this. As I study Bible prophecy, I see what's on the horizon because I know that my God doesn't lie. And if my God tells me that something is going to happen, it's going to happen. And then we need to do whatever we're doing called church and prepare for it and build that around it instead of the other way around, building our kingdoms and our empires and just hoping the Bible reacts to us. My Bible says that there will come a person called the false prophet and the Antichrist, and they will be able to do such supernatural signs and wonders that they will even be able to make fire come down from heaven. They, these, these people, these young kids, these teenagers who just can't wait to get out of your boring services because they see it's all fake, phony, and hype, and a bunch of showmanship that's a second-rate ripoff of a rock concert, they will see the false prophet do miracles that even a stone-cold atheist won't be able to debate. And then what are you going to do? I raise you my cup of latte coffee. Um, my move of God is better than your move of God. It, it, it's going to totally bankrupt people because these kids are going to go straight headlong into false apostasy because there will be a, such a, a legitimate spiritual revival of evil occultic power that the church will have very little answer for it on the surface. And this is exactly what happened in Judges, this is exactly what happened to Israel. I just want to read Judges 2, 7 and 8 and 10 through 13 real quick, and this will make the point so abundantly clear. It says, The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And also the generation that gathered unto their fathers, they died. Then after arose another generation after them that knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. The children of Israel did sight in the eyes of the Lord, did evil in the sight of the eyes of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed after other gods of the gods of the people that were around about them. They bowed themselves down unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord, served Baal and Asheroth. And in verse 17, it actually says they went whoring after other gods. So what basically happened was Joshua learned from his godly elders this is why you can't separate the groups. You shouldn't from the move of God. Joshua learned at the feet of Moses. He saw the plagues that decimated Egypt. He saw the Red Sea part. He saw the manna fall from heaven. And then after Moses died, Joshua continued in that anointing. He went and the, and he, and the 
people around Joshua saw the walls of Jericho fall. They saw the angel of the Lord decimate the Nephilim. They saw all these miraculous things that Joshua did. But then after Joshua and his generation died, another generation rose up that never saw the plagues of Egypt. They never saw the Red Sea part. They never saw the walls of Jericho fall. They never saw the angel of the Lord desolate the Nephilim hybrids. They never saw anything for themselves. They never experienced God the way their elders experienced God. So they went into their communities and went after Baal and Asheroth. And what Baal and Asheroth was was a sensual, fleshly, sexual religion. It was one that appealed to the flesh. It was one that appealed to everything sensual. It was something that they could experience. It was a religion they could experience. They could have a spiritual encounter with a fallen entity because they didn't have the testimony. You know what happens in church? And this is, I'll just use an example from my heritage, which is a Pentecostal heritage. When the Pentecostal movement happened, when it first started out, crazy things happened. Like people that that would be in towns that were drunkards. Let's say your grandpa was a drunk. He beat his wife. He he spent all nights at the bars. Every other word was a cuss word. He was a foul, foul individual. He went to a little tent meeting, got saved, got filled with the Holy Ghost, was on fire for God, changed his life. He didn't drink anymore. He loved his wife. He honored and cherished his wife. He was a disciple, never beat her led people to Jesus, became a pastor. His kids grew up in the Pentecostal church, and they, they saw the testimony of their father. They knew that that their father had a real, real experience with God. But then by the time the grandkids come, and then the generation after that, they never saw what happened to the granddad. They never saw the experience that their mom and their dads had. They had nothing to go on but an experience that they had to forge out for themselves as spiritual pioneers. And the best that the church could give them was PowerPoint presentations and rock bands and gross-out games. And what's going to happen then? What's going to happen When the Antichrist comes, when he has lying signs and wonders, if the Spirit of God is not moving in your service, if your adults aren't being trained to be overcomers, if they're not being radically transformed with the gospel, if your kids aren't being radically transformed with the gospel, then the teens will never see it. They'll never see it. Because they're separate. They'll have no testimony. They'll never have a shared commonality in their testimony. And then when the Antichrist comes, and if you believe that he's coming and you believe that he can do supernatural things, then the church needs to prepare for that moment by becoming spiritual overcomers now. We need to start moving in the gifts of the Spirit now. We need to start moving in revival now. We need to clean up the falseness that's in the church now and become the remnant revolution that will rise up and take a stand against the evil that's coming in this land. And our kids need to be a part of that because that will be their salvation. Not a youth group, not not gross out peanut butter games, none of this garbage. The, the, the key to making on fire teens is let your adults be on fire. Let your grade schoolers be on fire. Let God invade that place of corporate worship. And then And then let the kids be so hungry for that that they will never be deceived by the false because they will be so intimate with the real. Amen. Amen. You can't even get into talking about these things without going back to Israel. Uh, because Israel, like you said, I mean, the, the same thing was happening over and over. You would have a godly group 
God would be manifesting and doing all sorts of miracles and wonders for Israel, and then they would fall away, and it would be generational. And, and it's like people forget what God has done. And so then you have this new group that's, ri- that's risen to power and they're worshiping Baal. I mean, it just, it goes on and on. It's a big cycle. And then God brings in judgment and then sets up somebody to come through and bring the people back to the Lord, tear down the altars to the false gods and rebuild the altar unto the real God. And we've been, we've been talking about this stuff for well over a week. We've been digging into research and things are about to get a little wild here, but the passage of scripture that uh, that the Lord has taken me to, and this is really, a, it's fair to say, this is a source text for the discussion tonight of every topic, including the one we already talked about. But Second Timothy, Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul's writing this, and it's chapter three, verses one through five. And I really, I, I really hope people will understand that this is this is written right to us. We're dealing with a scenario that is just, it's undeniable. I just want to take us there real quick. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Mm. From such turn away. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this right here, this nails out everything that we're dealing with right now. I mean, really, this, if we, we could go into an expository breakdown of this one passage and it would take two hours. So I just, I encourage everyone to study this. We will be making references back to this, I'm sure, as we go deeper into the show tonight. But men are going to be lovers of their own selves. Now, obviously, Paul says, in the last times, in the last days, we're here. We've got multiple references to scripture showing us that we are in the last days and we are in perilous times. Men are lovers of themselves. If you don't believe us, just turn on the TV. Men are lovers of themselves. They're covetous. They want what everyone else has. They're boasting. They're proud. They're blaspheming. They're disobedient to parents. Now, look, if Andy Stanley was not just disobedient to parents, I don't know what is. He was just disobedient to your leadership as a parent if you don't take your kids to a megachurch. He was disobedient. He was also unthankful for the work that the other churches are doing. He was boasting in his pride. And in my opinion, what he was doing right there was blaspheming. He gave no scripture to back up what he was saying. Also, it says men are going to be without natural affection. Okay, ding, ding, ding. Anybody know what that means? Homosexuality. They're not going to have the natural affection for the opposite sex. They're also going to be truce breakers. They're going to break agreements. They're going to be falsely accusing people. Andy Stanley right there falsely accusing us for not going to a giant megachurch and they're going to be despisers of those that are good. He was despising the people who took their kids to a church of 200 people. Now, we're going to get here into the lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So we're going to go ahead and just bring on Chad Riley and uh, we're going to pick up right here. Chad, welcome to the show. How you doing, buddy? Oh man, it's been a crazy, crazy day, let me tell you. (laughs) <laughs> well, you you just missed the Andy Stanley segment. We're going to go ahead and jump into the gross out games. 
and uh, some of the things that are taking place in the youth groups of America. The thing that that's going on with these gross out games, it's a natural evolution of icebreakers. What they, what a gross out game is, is just like your classic youth group icebreaker where you're going to try to make people uncomfortable to try to get them out of their shell. And since our modern day churches that engage in these type of shenanigans, I'm not saying that all modern day churches do, but the ones that engage in these type of shenanigans are, are wanting to do what Andy Stanley said and they want to make friends. So they're going to play these friendship games, which are these gross out games. And they do it to, you know, to bring the kids out of their shell. We have a clip that will explain it a lot better than I can. But listen to the clip. This is Todd Frio from Wretched. And he's going to explain to you the new trend in youth groups. Now, I need to give a quick disclaimer. This is, uh, he's having one of his guys reenact one of the other videos. So, um, this is not an actual clip of a youth pastor, but he's mimicking it. So I need to say that real quick. I don't want anything to fly back on us and they say, oh, well, that wasn't a real clip, but we're going to go ahead and play it. All right, youth group, we're going to get to know each other just a little bit better with an icebreaker. Now, don't tell your parents what we're about to do because they will like freak out. I'm going to take this peanut butter, stick it in my armpits, and you have to lick it out. Volunteers! Hey, on behalf of everybody here at Wretched, I'd like to apologize to you and to the actual Christian teenagers who had to endure that actual event. What is going on inside of the evangelical youth ministries of today? While there are some great youth pastors who are teaching the kids to memorize Bible verses, study theology, and love Jesus more, there is a major movement called icebreaker youth games, specifically gross-out games. Here's the premise. The kids... They're kind of shy. They don't know what to say to each other. You throw them into this room and they just all mull around. They don't know what to do. So we have to teach them how to break the ice. And what better way to do that than a gross-out game, one of which actually was a youth pastor of a megachurch who put peanut butter in his armpit and had the children lick it out. No, I'm sorry, but I'm not making that up. Furthermore, there are many of these, which you're going to see in a moment, of these gross-out games that are demeaning to the children, border on abusive, and are most certainly blasphemous and so low, and the results are profoundly horrific. Let us take a look at a Bible verse that should guide us through this malaise known as Icebreaker Youth Ministry Gross-Out Games. Here it is. Urge the young men to be sensible, Paul said to Timothy, in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. It's pretty hard for a youth pastor to encourage young people to press on towards spiritual maturity with whipped cream coming out of his nose. Youth pastors are to be dignified, models to younger people who should then press on toward a dignified maturity. How, oh pray, how does doing a gross-out game with kids 
Teach them to act in a dignified manner, to be mature, to be different than their peers, to act in a godly manner. And yet, this is precisely what is happening in youth group ministries today. You say, Friel, I'm not so sure this is as widespread as you suggest. Well, let me share with you, prepare yourself some examples of youth group gross-out games. Number one, we just heard the megachurch youth pastor who put peanut butter in his armpits and had the kids lick it out. However, the story continues. Upon receiving a complaint from a parent, a parent, the same youth pastor toned it down and then put peanut butter between his toes and had the kids lick it out. I'm not kidding. This and many more have really happened. Kids at youth groups were coerced into drinking Coke through their friends' used socks. Oh, this is a perennial favorite in far too many youth ministries. I'm not kidding. This is this is like a big deal. We we do the switch thing, and it's 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 done in a big circle. So hey, put the sock, put your sweaty teenage sock over your coke that you just drank from, and then everybody pass it around in the circle and then drink it. Ho ho! See what we did there? Yeah, I see. You demeaned the kids. Kids at youth groups vomited as they ate brown blended food out of a baby's diaper. Hey, how's about them? Hijinks and shenanigans. You put some glop, kind of, well, like pretty much anything you order at Taco Bell, into a baby diaper, and then the kids eat it out, and inevitably one of them kind of starts retching. And that is when the real theological lessons begin. Uh, You say, okay, maybe you can find those videos on the Internet. And the only reason we're not showing them is simply because we don't want to be showing these kids They're just doing what the adult pastor is telling them to do. So we don't want to embarrass anybody with this. We want to be thoughtful. But I'm telling you, this is going on. Youth groups, in order to break the ice, get the kids to come out of their shell, the youth pastors are coming up with these games to see how gross they can get the kids to act, to get kids to laugh, and to, I guess, make friends. I guess this is a... This is the way that megachurches, and not even megachurches, I found quite a few smaller churches that are jumping on this trend as well. Yeah, you sent me a picture of of two young, very young boys with a piece of cellophane separating their faces, tongue-licking the peanut butter off each side of the cellophane. Basically, it looked like they were homosexual tongue-kissing. Let's let's deal with the youth pastor first. We'll definitely get into that story. Um there's a youth pastor who was taking the peanut butter and putting it in his armpits. And the gross out game was to have kids from the youth group come and lick the peanut butter out of his armpits. And the mother, there was a mother that complained and she said, no, you can't do that. That is absolutely disgusting. You can't do that. That's not what a youth group is all about. And so he comes back and he says, well, hey, you know what? Um, somebody didn't like the last gross out game we did. We had a parent complain. So we will no longer be able to do the armpit peanut butter game. But, yes, there's a but, but we are now going to put peanut butter between my toes and have kids lick the peanut butter from the youth pastor's toes. Well, that makes it so much better. And how is that not like a foot fetish? How is this? How can people not like see that this dude obviously, you know, is acting in an unchristian manner and things that you would see on a porn site? I mean, and and the kids, right? Not only are they doing this, but they're shaming. I mean, can you imagine the poor kid whose parents narked him out? 
now they're like, oh, we can't have any more fun in youth group because Johnny's mom and dad knocked him out. Johnny's such a square. So that's not helping Johnny make friends either. The they only might make them like him better. They might well, appreciate it. The only good thing coming out of this is I think maybe Chad sent me this. And if it was Chad, good find, man, because uh, he sent me an article that says that parents are now suing these churches for doing yeah. this. So, you know, nothing will shut down these move of gods quicker than a lawsuit, apparently. So here's what Chad's article said. Parents sue over Crown Point Church's gross out game. And here's a snapshot of what we were just listening to. And it's and warning, it's gross. Four families have filed suit against their Crown Point Church, alleging activities at its popular New Eve New Year's Eve overnight lock-in actually harmed their children. Maryville attorney John Buscemi, who represents the families, alleges in the suit that two of the children, 13 and 14-year-old boys, were pressured into drinking a mixture of dog food. Salsa, sauerkraut, sardines, potted meat, eggnog, and cottage cheese. The mixture was first chewed by a church employee, then spit into a cup from which the children drank while crowds cheered them on. The mother of the 13-year-old boy said, he told me he played a game and won $50, then he went to bed. That night, or the next morning, he had diarrhea and stomach cramps. He kept trying to throw up. He was sick for about a week. He did not realize the consequences that can occur from such a horrible game. It was a gross-out game, and we didn't even know if anyone would do it, Johnson said. Johnson is the youth pastor. If I knew someone was going to be that bent out of shape about it, go figure, I would have never done it. It was basically a goofy game. We did it in college. Here's a side note on that. If that's what you're learning in Bible college, hazing, and not the word of God, which should guide your youth group, man, then I don't know what they're teaching in Bible colleges anymore. It's been a while since I've been. So maybe that's what they're doing. I don't know. The mother said it was voluntary, but these kids don't know any better. There were four adults on the stage cheering them on. Hey, these kids are looking for acceptance. These kids yeah. want acceptance, okay? I mean, look, that's why kids are having sex at such young ages, because they're looking for acceptance. But here, here's the here's the real thing, right? The most severe concern was the bacterial strep they developed. Oh. Yeah, because they're drinking spit and stuff from other people's mouths. Or foot fungus. Right. And the <sighs> fact that they had to be tested for communicable diseases, including hepatitis, tuberculosis, and HIV, because we don't know whose saliva and bodily fluids you're taking into yourselves. The lawyer also said the cousins and three of their friends were confined in a closet at the youth bash lock-in and preached to, and then not allowed to leave the closet until they had provided personal information, including their names, addresses, church affiliations, emails, and phone numbers. Because marketing is important. I mean, that's how you have circles instead of roles. Johnson, Johnson said that the activity is a church event, and getting a religious message across is the use of fun events. It's part of the religious package. Okay. He said that no one should be surprised at that. Really? Johnson said, though, that he is going to cancel the human vegematic segment of Youth Bash more out of sensitivity than a conviction that it was wrong. 
So it wasn't morally wrong or unchristian to demean and haze children, like, like a college hazing. But it is wrong to get caught offending parents and then getting bad PR for the church because no church wants to get sued. But we got to do stuff like this because this is how we make friends. This is all part of a normal growing experience. And if they don't have friends and they won't like going to church and they have to love our mega church so much until until you get like a step infection because you're playing stupid gross out games. Why is he still in that position is what I wanted to know. Because the pastor sees nothing wrong with it. Here's here's the shocking truth about youth ministry, modern day youth ministry. You don't get necessarily the best candidates or quality candidates from Bible school. You get the most hippest. You get the ones with the biggest vision. You interview your pastor and you have like your group of candidates for your pastor position. And it isn't like how much time do you spend in your prayer closet? Are you walking in the gifts of the Holy Ghost? You know, what kind of grades did you get in theology? Um, what's your vision of, of making disciples? It's what kind of cool vision do you have for our youth group? What can you do to make our church stand out from the other youth groups? Because the youth group is a giant baby. That's the other thing that we need to talk about here. People send their youth groups to their kids to youth groups because it's babysitting, basically. They want to have a place to drop their kids off in a, in a nice, safe environment, and it's basically free youth care. And and if you're a pastor, you know what I'm talking about. And so part of the thing is, is that you have to have your youth group better than the other one. It's like McDonald's trying to be better than Burger King by having a tastier burger. So you get these young, hip youth people. You want the newest and the hippest people that have the best vision to make your youth group more modernly appealing. And there's nothing wrong with having a young pastor or a young person that has a good vision for the youth. But I, I almost wonder sometimes... If these juvenile shenanigan games would fall by the wayside if we had older people serving as youth pastors, people in their 50s. But we, you wouldn't really see megachurch pastors, people in their 50s serving as young youth pastors because they're not hip or relatable. But a 50-year-old but a who's been walking with the Lord for 40 years or 30 years— who, who has spent time in his prayer closet, who has seen life played out, has seen life lessons— and the spiritual consequences of them would be able to teach these young kids godly things that 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 you just wouldn't learn from a freshman out of school. And maybe even youth groups should partner the two, and a young and an old guy. Or maybe they should just do away with the gross-out games in the youth groups, period. I don't know. We well, see, the thing is, though, uh, what's happening here is uh, we're dealing with these modern churches who follow what's called models. Now, I, I've talked about models before on the show. Uh, a lot of the new churches that are that are up and coming, they want to follow what's called a successful model. And so there are pastors who have written books on how to build a large church. These are the steps you take. This is our model that was successful. And so they've created a marketing scheme in order to bring in the numbers, uh, some churches will, will turn their, their sanctuary into a big dirt track. They'll have motorcycles come in and do tricks. Other churches go for the whole movie day. And hey, I'm not knocking your church. If y'all do church at the movies, hey, you know what? That's, that's, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, I love movies, uh, but there's a time and a place. And we also have to consider the context of which they are bringing the movies in. But churches are always looking for something cool to get people's attention. And I remember there was a time when I'd never even heard of church at the movies. And now it's spreading like wildfire. Churches are doing this all the time. Oh, hey, the whole month of March, we're going to have church at the movies. 
and we're going to be basing our sermon clips based on the movies. I was driving by a church on the way to my old church years ago, and they said the gospel according to the Beatles, and that was the sermon series. For It was a Methodist church, I believe, but the gospel according to the Beatles, that was going to be the Methodist message for that month. And I mean, I'm just, this is the thing we're, we're dealing with bringing the world into the church rather than bringing the church to the world. And they're going for what's cool. And when, when you first sent me some links, uh, Chad started sending me links. You were sending me links. Kay, we were all swapping links. And I found that there was websites that had been created where you could go in and pay, you know, maybe $5 or something like that. And you could get a downloadable version of these gross out games to teach you how to do this. So there are sites that will sell you the guidelines to do the gross out games for youth groups. But I want to touch on something real fast. When I set out to look into this stuff, I found a church that was taking the kids and they were doing a a gross out game in a home. Parents were there. Let Let me just say that again. Parents were there. It was a home meeting. There was a guitar set up in the background, a little portable pulpit, like a little fold, like a little music stand that was being used as a pulpit for their Bible study, if you even want to call it a Bible study. Um, because how do you go from the Word of God to doing these disgusting things? I don't know. I don't see how you can transition between the two. But uh, the parents were there, and they were, it was like a truth or dare. They're daring the kids to do things. And there was a young guy, pretty young kid, and he said, well, I'll take dare number one. And so they handed him a bottle of clam juice. So you can drink this whole bottle of clam juice or you can take dare number two. Well, he started to drink the clam juice. And look, I'll I'll be honest, drinking clam juice as a dare, that's nothing, okay? I mean, I know guys that would drink that whole bottle of clam juice just because they could. You know, eating a jalapeno pepper as a dare, eating a dog biscuit. I mean, look, there are are legitimate ways of playing games that, that will make people laugh, okay? And I will get into that in a sec. The kid could not drink the clam juice. He took a sip and almost threw up. So he sets it down and says, okay, okay, okay. I'll take dare number two. I'll take dare number two. And so they said, okay, get the peanut butter. And they called this other kid up. They had him roll his sleeve up and they smeared peanut butter in his sweaty armpit. And look, I mean, if you have kids, I I was a kid at one time. You're in school all day. You're sweaty. You're not going to come home and take a shower and get clean before you go to youth meeting probably. So the kid's been wearing these clothes all day, probably out doing what kids do. And he smears peanut butter. One of the leaders came in and smeared the peanut butter in his armpit. And then the other kid had to come up and literally stick his tongue up into the kid's armpit and lick the peanut butter off. And the kids were just loving it. They were eating it up and cheering him on. And uh, the kid seemed to enjoy it, actually. The kid who was doing the licking, he was like, oh, that's not so bad. He said, do I have to get it all off? And there's parents there, right there. They're hosting this in their home. At what point is this? At what point do they consider this pornographic? That's what I want to know. Well, it is. And there's another aspect that we really need to touch on here. And I think it was either Kay or Chad sent me a, a link about a pastor who was feeding his congregation snakes. And then he was feeding them rats and then pieces of cloth and human hair. And then there was another African church where people were drinking bleach. And you're saying, well, how's the gross out games? That's supposed to be fun. Obviously, this other stuff over here is gross and demonic. But let me ask you a question. What's the spiritual root of both? It's the debasement of people that are made in the image of God. And that's why you have things like fetish porn. 
You have this whole movement where genders are being erased, where men are dressing in in women's clothes and wearing wigs and putting on lipstick. And there's like S&M and people act like dogs and and even some of the spiritual stuff like the fire tunnels where people are laying on the ground laughing uncontrollably and peeing themselves and all kinds of other gross things. It's debasement. And here's the thing. I, I, I read Gary Wayne's awesome book and he makes a, a rock solid case that the, one of the reasons that the fallen ones targeted humanity in the first place was because they wanted to take a measure of revenge, not only against God, but against the people of God for usurping yes. their position. And what better way to take revenge? Because you can't, you can't hurt God. But what better way to take revenge against God than to debase the ones that are made in his image? And believe me, they hate the image of God. And that's what some of this is. Little kids licking peanut butter off each other from youth pastors' toes, which is, which is fetish porn. I'm sorry, but that's what it is. This is a debasement of people. What did Jesus, Jesus said, bring the little children unto me. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere that he went, Jesus sought out the little children because he loved the little children. He said, if you offend any one of these, it's better that a millstone be put around your neck and that you're thrown into a sea because these little ones behold the face of God. You see, there is a demonic element to this that we need to be aware of. And you look in society at the debasement of humanity, and it is, it's demonic. These are, this is a, this is revenge against it. And when you bring this stuff in, when you demean these young people, you are setting yourself up to be in an area of displeasement from God. It's very hateful. It's, it's truly hateful. And you just, you really nailed it because it, it all goes back to demonic activity. And some people say, well, Justin, you always say that. You always say everything's demonic. Well, look, I'm not saying there's a demon behind every bush. I'm just saying that when we see these practices, the, what's socially acceptable, the standard of our culture, the standard of our churches, it all goes back to doctrines of demons because it is in total opposition to the holy, undefiled word of God. And what you said right there, BDK, you you really, and, and praise God, Gary Wayne, I love Gary Wayne. If you're listening, Gary, we love you. We appreciate what you do. Uh, you are a one-of-a-kind Christian contrarian. I just want to say that on record. We all oh, love yeah. you, Gary. Gary shows major support to all of our shows. He's always available with his busy schedule to come on and talk with us. Um, man, Gary Wayne, thumbs up, buddy. Um, that What he said right there, that that's right on point because the angels want to bring us down. The fallen angels, they're jealous. They're jealous. I mean, first of all, we've got the ability to be redeemed, and they don't. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense, but real quick, this is totally debasement. I mean, total debasement here, folks. We're lowering people. It's really, it's like the, the people that want the pornography where people get degraded. You know, I've mentioned in one show before, and I hate even bringing this up, but you've even got people who have a fetish with what's called nugget porn. Uh, they want to go find people that don't have arms and legs, and they make pornography out of that. And the sick thing about it, uh, I only heard about this because Apparently, this is uh, it's like the new thing that, that the college campuses are getting blown up with. All the college kids, they go to a party, they're all drinking, and then somebody puts on some nugget porn, and they all laugh about it. But in reality, what it's doing, it's planting demonic seeds. Any kind of porn plants demonic seeds. But this is uh, a degrading. All porn is degrading, but this is even going further. 
This is going and finding quadruple amputees or people that are born without limbs and they call them nuggets. And then they take them and they put them on a bed and then somebody rapes them and then they pay them. Everybody goes home. And this is the type of sick culture we live in where people are being totally debased. I mean, without degradation, people just don't feel like they're better. You know, and that's the thing is our culture teaches people. You got to feel like you're better. You got to feel, you know, lover of self. You got to love yourself. Well, if people can't love themselves, what do they do? They find somebody who they want to put in a category of being less than themselves. And then all of a sudden they feel better. Oh, well, hey, at least I'm not that nugget over there getting raped. At least I'm not that kid up there licking peanut butter out of an adult's armpits. This is the culture. We always want to be better than everybody. American pride. You ever hear that, guys? American pride, especially after 9-11, everybody was like, oh, American pride, American pride. Well, you know what? My Bible does not teach to be prideful. My Bible teaches to be humble before the Lord. Amen. Amen. Pride comes before fall. White pride, black pride, Mexican pride. It's all here in America. It's all here. You know, growing up in Texas, there was tons of Mexican pride. There was a radio station called La Raza, the race. They believe they're the supreme race. Not, not all Mexicans, of course not. I've got great friends who are brothers and sisters in Christ and they're, they're Hispanic of origin. But pride, whether it's black, white, Mexican, whether it's American, whether it's Israeli pride, whether it's any type of pride, God hates. He hates it and he will bring it down to nothing. And look, I'm getting fired up right now and I'm not going to apologize. This is disgusting. When I found the video of those two young children, young children, who are, I mean, we're talking like probably barely in middle school. They put them down on their knees for crying out loud. They put them on their knees. This is in a youth room and somebody's filming it. They take this little piece of thin plastic. I don't know if I'd call it cellophane, but it wasn't much thicker than cellophane. It was very thin and flexible, like one of those, uh, those cutting boards that you can roll up. And they smeared peanut butter on both sides and they had two boys on their knees holding the plastic between each other. And they were licking each other's tongues on opposite sides, trying to see who could get the peanut butter removed first. And they were loving it and laughing. And what it's doing is it's desensitizing those two boys, the same two boys that are probably going to spend the night at each other's house sometime in the future. And they are getting desensitized to licking each other's tongues. Well, hey, it wasn't so bad at church. I mean, we played a gross out game at church. All that was separating our tongue was this little piece of plastic. So what's the next step? Remove the plastic. Let's just lick each other's tongues. Let's see how close we can get to the line. And then they got videos of girls doing it too. Somewhere in their disgusting mentality, they think, well, if two boys are doing it, it's not crossing a line. So now we're going to have two girls doing it. We're going to keep it same sexual oriented, which in my opinion is even worse. Going against the natural affection. Remember the verse we talked about earlier? 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Without natural affection disobedient to parents. This is going right against what parents want for their kids in the church. Despisers of those that are good. They're hating us for speaking against it. And they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We are told here in 2 Timothy, from such turn away. And I'm going to go one other one step further. I know you guys got plenty, plenty to say. Please forgive me for hogging. I have to say one other thing. One of these videos, one of these gross out videos, the one where the kid was drinking the clam juice and then he had to lick the peanut butter from the kid's armpit. He's being cheered on by parents. He's being cheered on by the youth pastor, cheered on by the kids. I uh, I was just curious who this man was that uploaded the video. So I was on his channel on YouTube and I clicked his channel button and I got to see the other videos that he had posted and he didn't have any other gross out videos. 
but he had posted other things of experiences that he had had with his youth group. Uh, one of them was showing a, a retreat that they had out in the mountains, uh, just a picture slideshow. Well, you know, I, I didn't even want to watch it because I don't, I don't care what kind of retreats these kids are going on because it's all getting canceled out by this pornographic practice that they're doing in the youth room and in the homes. But I saw a video of the kid's channel and he said, this is my graduation speech. Apparently the kid had been in the youth group and he had graduated high school. And he gives this long drawn out speech about how he was picked on because he was Hispanic. Nobody liked him. They uh, Basically, he was a Hispanic that did not speak Spanish. So he was hated by all the cultures in his school. He was shunned upon. He was he, he's a prime candidate for someone to play gross out games because he's not getting any type of praise anywhere else. He's not getting accepted anywhere else. He's been picked on his whole life. Well, that's that's. That's what they look for when they're grooming kids. These perverts and sexual predators, they like to, that's exactly what they're looking for. Exactly. I mean, he, he was, he was a prime candidate. And then he goes on to explain how he got accepted in the youth group. And he gives this long psychological speech. And, and, and I'll admit it, I sat through it. And I'm just thinking, okay, get on with God. Get on with God. Tell us what God's done for your life. And it just kept going in what the youth group did for him, what the youth group did for him, what the youth group did for him, how this pastor got him out of his shell. I'm, I'm waiting to hear about, uh, you know, when did you get saved? What has Jesus done in your life? It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's about Christ. So it doesn't matter who your youth pastor is. It doesn't matter how many people are in your youth group. What matters is what Christ is doing in your life. And I didn't get that. And this is his like grand slam out of the park graduation speech. And he wrote it. He was reading it from from like five pages. How do you get accepted into a youth group to begin with? You're accepted by God. There should be no getting accepted into a church fellowship group. Yeah, but a lot of people go to church just for the the whole social thing. They don't necessarily always go for the right reasons. It sounds to me, though, almost it's like getting accepted into a gang. Well, it's a matter of getting the kids to come out of their shell because I'm sure if we're all being honest, when you go into a church or a youth group and it's your first time, you don't know anybody. And so obviously there's going to be a little bit of a shell you're going to be in until you get to know people and people start to show you some love. Um, I get that. But what's happening here is that the, the youth pastors are trying to create these games to get people to come out of their shell. And that's how they're cool. That's how they're judged based on how crazy are you willing to be in the house of the Lord? How crazy are you? How far will you go to prove you're cool? Now, I just want to propose a quick, a quick thought. Let's say that there's a youth group and all the kids are coming in and there's a kid who says, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lick that peanut butter from your armpits. Well, what is that going to say to the rest of the kids? I mean, if the kids are all following their quote unquote spiritual leadership of the youth pastors and the the elders in the youth group, that kid is going to be totally shunned. Oh, man, he was too he was too chicken to lick the peanut butter out of the armpits. He's not cool enough. So now what you're doing is you're creating a double standard and it's, it's having a snowball effect downhill on those same kids who won't do the gross out games because they've got a little bit of self-control. They've got a little bit of morality and integrity. They don't want to abuse their bodies. And so now they're the kids that are not the cool kids, and they're going to get picked on and made fun of because they wouldn't lick the peanut butter out of bodily orifices, or they wouldn't eat the spit-up Taco Bell in a diaper. 
they wouldn't drink the Pepsi out of their, their friend's dirty sock. So they're not cool enough because they don't want to get a staph infection. They don't want to get oral herpes. So they're not cool enough now. So it has the absolute opposite effect of what the youth pastor was going for. But you can't have both. You can't have both. Somewhere the kids are going to get demonized or they're going to demonize themselves. And and that's the thing. It's like we need someone needs to be there to look out for the kids' spiritual well-being, not cheering them on for all these shenanigans. There's probably going to be people out there who say, well, you know what? Maybe this isn't such a big problem. Maybe this isn't going on in as many churches as you think. Or maybe Andy Stanley would never approve of peanut butter games or whatever the thing is. That's not the issue. The issue is, is there a better way to do youth ministry? Is there a better way to do ministry? Is there a biblical way to do ministry? We can go to the Bible and we can find in Acts 20, 9 through 11, the pattern of the early church. Paul was ministering to a house church group and the young people were in the service with him. How do we know this? Because it says so. It says there sat in a window a certain young man named Euclid being fallen into a deep sleep as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep, fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. So they were right in the meeting. The, the meeting was going on for hours. It wasn't like a one, it wasn't like a one hour youth meeting or a one hour church service. These services that happened in the church went on, they were interactive. They went on for a long period of time. And that's part of the problem with this modern church movement anyways, is that it's not interactive. But anyways, the, the kid falls down. He dies. He just falls asleep. It's the middle of the night. Paul's been teaching for a long time. And Paul goes down. And it says, Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, and said, Trouble yourselves not, for life is in him. And when, therefore, he had come up again, meaning he was risen from the dead, they broke bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day. So Paul departed. In this youth ministry, right, the kid is resurrected from the dead. The church doesn't even skip a beat. It's like if that happened in a service now, like CNN would be there. There'd be cell phones everywhere and people would be freaking out and it would put this church down. That kind of supernatural activity was so normal in the church that it just continued on like as if nothing happened. And then they took, they, they break bread, they had communion and it just went on till the wee hours of the morning. Here's the excellent way. You have two models. One is the modern church movement, which is a formula. And one is what Paul said. When I came unto you, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom, which is the modern equivalent of these things that pass for sermons nowadays. He didn't come with you with wisdom of men or enticing words or motivational speaking. He came with the doctrine of Christ, and he said, I came with the demonstration of spirit and power. What do you think radically altered Euclid's life? It was that experience. you tell me that Euclid had an experience when he was resurrected from the dead. That changed his life. What's better? An experience of a game or a, or a function or a gross-out game or a movement or three points in a sermon or being filled with the power of God. Which transformed that man's life better? Would you rather have an army of Euclid's on your hands or an army of people that are being fetish gamed? There is an excellent way. Paulus was like, I show you a more excellent way. This is the excellent way. This is the standard. There's always going to be people who say, well, 
well, what's wrong with this? Or maybe this isn't going on. But that's not the issue. The issue is what is the standard that we want to hold ourselves accountable to as a church? What should be our goal? What should be what should be our standard of perfection? And this is the experiences that we should be having in church. And if we had these experiences, our young people would not be like the young people they are now. Because they would be filled with the Holy Ghost and the resurrection life of Christ coursing through them. They would be forever changed. And they would never, ever be the same again. It's so in opposition to the Word of God. And what we see is that a lot of these mega churches, because of their doing the, they're doing these types of things, and they're never going to see a real move of God as long as they're, they're just, they're teaching false gospel. They're teaching an inclusive doctrine of everyone goes to heaven. They're teaching that homosexuality is okay with God, that you can be a practicing homosexual and a Christian. As long as, even the gross out games, as long as these things are, uh, you know, being, uh, proliferated in the church, God is not going to show up and, and do anything special there. Matter of fact, like, like we talked about last time we were all together, we're dealing with God's judgment because these people have totally perverted the word of God. They're seeking after everything but the truth. And they're denying the true power of God by practicing these things. So it's like, you know what? God's not going to show up here. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to try to either create a fake environment where people think God's showing up, you know, with the, the fake signs and wonders, the demonic miracles, or we're going to create a gaming environment to make things so cool and so fun that everybody wants to come and bring their friends. And one thing that I know we all agree on, uh, actually, goodness, I agree with just about everything with you guys, but, uh, <laughs> um, but just with most of the Christians out there, um, a lot of Christians will agree with us that deliverance is something that we have to practice. There is no such thing as living a Christian life without deliverance. We have to be delivered from things. The things of the past, we've got to be delivered of. And deliverance is such a huge, just a huge part of scripture. You know, what's worse, a church with demons in the pews or a church filled with people who don't believe they exist? And a lot of these big churches, they don't spend any time, any resources, any teaching on deliverance or the demonic influences. And so what you have is a church filled with people who are just wanting to have their ears tickled. They just want to come in. They want to get the feel good message. They want to have some fun. They want to be entertained. Uh, even A.W. Tozer uh, God, God bless the, the ministry that's still just rolling. I, I, I tell you that the ministry of A.W. Tozer is still just going full force, even though he's in heaven now. I mean, his, his ministry really is still pushing strong, his teachings. And A.W. Tozer said, there's going to come a time where pastors are going to be replaced with clowns that are going to be up doing tricks on the stage to entertain the people. And I read that in, in some of his notes and I'm just like, wow. I mean, if that was not the Holy Ghost speaking through him, I don't know what was. Because we are in that time. We are in that time. We have to have these themed messages that are themed. And it's okay to have themed messages. As a matter of fact, every show we do together has a theme. We, we talk about certain things. But we're looking for now uh, churches that have worldly themes to draw people in. You know, I remember we had one uh, at North Point years ago. I got drugged into North Point even after I quit going there. One of my friends was in town. They said, oh, come to Andy's church. I said, you know, I'm only going to come for the fellowship with you. And I get in there and it's saved by the bell. Saved by the bell. That's that. That's the theme of the message. And they're playing. It's all right because I'm saved by the bell. Uh, that's how they started the service off. You got the 12 stone church here that's right next door to my church. And it's a giant mega church that's always trying to do cool things for people. They got a Starbucks right there inside the church. Um, but the, the thing about 12 stone is that they have 
I had some friends that had gone for for a certain, I think it was like a graduation event or something like that for the kids, and they're playing a Katy Perry song from the pulpit. I mean, this this is the churches are constantly trying to be so worldly. God's not going to show up and, and and give any type of blessing on a church if they're dishonoring Him and His Word. And this is not being legalistic. This is about us saying, "Hey, take a step back from the world. Look at everything through the lenses of the Word of God." We, we, we do not have to make the gospel cool. We do not have to make the gospel relevant. It is already relevant. Matter of fact, the gospel is the coolest thing that ever happened to the world. But we have to try to put some cake icing on it. We have to try to coat it with candy and sugar. And the problem is that when we candy coat the gospel, we're actually coating it with poison. And I, you know, I'm over here and I'm fired up and I'm raising my voice and I, I just, I don't know any other way to talk about these things because this is the perversion of the bride of Christ. We are the bride. We are to be the body of Christ and it is being totally perverted. This is all falling right in line with the end time scenario that Anton LaVey's daughter talked about. And I, to, I just mentioned this to Kay the other night. I saw an interview with Anton LaVey's daughter years ago when I first started waking up. And it was her and her former husband, Nicholas Shrek, which they're both, they're not together anymore, but they're both leading major occult groups in the world. And she said boldly to the camera, speaking of the occult, speaking of the church of Satan, to be even more specific, she said, we have our people working overtime to infiltrate your schools, your local governments, your federal governments, to infiltrate your seminaries, and to infiltrate your churches. She said it is but a matter of time before your pastors are being trained in seminary by our people who are moles. We are putting our moles in every organization of religion and government and education. So there will be a time when your pastors are going to come out of seminary having been perverted with false doctrines and false teachings by our Satanists. Our Satanists are going to be teaching everyone everything behind the scenes in a perverted manner. And no one's going to see it coming because it's going to be slow and loose change. This was back in like 1989 or 1990. Wow, how prophetic was that? And they had the power and the resources, and they still do. Anybody who denies the power that the occult has in this world, they simply do not understand the times and the seasons. And another thing real quick, uh, just to throw this out there for people, just remember that following the crowd to be cool, to fit in. I mean, that'll get you barbarous every time over Jesus. Amen. Yep. That's right. I guess the thing that really just really just drives a nail in the coffin for me is we're seeing the church in such a state that they don't even realize they're sick. They think they're rich. And that's that's not just talking about the building either. That's talking about we, the people, as the church. Yeah, the, the church is not the building. You're exactly right. The church is the people who make it up, the body of Christ. We are the body. We are the church. The building is going to fade away. The building will not inherit the kingdom. And and I'm glad that you brought that up because that's the point. The church is the people. 
and Justin brought it up. This is an end time scenario. This, you know, when Justin said that the church thinks that they're they're rich, but they're really poor, he's quoting from the book of Revelation. And the last point that I want to make is that if you look at the book of Revelation, the letter to the church, they contain great advice to the church living in the end times. Yes. But we can't forget the first thing that Jesus wants us to realize is the context of those letters. And the first thing that we're shown before the letters to the seven churches even starts is that he's walking amongst the lampstands or the candlesticks, or they were actually like representations of the temple menorahs. And they represented the seven churches. And he was walking amongst them. And what was he doing? He was checking for the life in those churches. Because, like, if you look at what the Greek lampstand was, it was, it was a candle, it was like a candelabra. And there would be oil that would be placed in them every single day. And then it would be lit on fire. The downside of it would be that the oil would create like like a burnt residue and would gunk up the lamp so that the oil couldn't properly flow and then it wouldn't be lit on fire. And that is why it's a picture of the church because we are the vessels that the Holy Spirit dwells in. He is the oil that flows through us and he is the biblical picture of that fire that's supposed to be consuming us as we light the dark, as we light up the darkness and push away the forces of the occult. We are always commanded to have that oil in our lamp if we're to be wise versions. And we can't, the, you know, the problem that we have as Christians, right, is that we sometimes get our oil gunked up because we haven't changed it daily. We haven't. We haven't washed ourselves with the water of the word. We haven't spent time alone with God. We're trying to live off yesterday's anointing, or we're trying to live off that hour we get at church once a week, or we try to live off that hour of a youth group, and we don't do spiritual life in us. We were like, oh, well, I didn't have time today, but thank God my pastor quoted more than usual Bible verses in his sermon, because that's my life. No, we have to have new oil. We have to have a fresh relationship with Jesus. And that's what he was doing in the book of Revelation. He was walking amongst the churches, checking for spiritual life. That's all he does. He goes amongst his church and he checks for the spiritual life. And then in the book of Revelations, you see the letters. He's like, well, it's your lack of your first love that's gunking up the oil from flowing. Or it's you're tolerating the Nicolaitans. And he, like a doctor, moves in and he tries to determine what's blocking the life, the flow of the Holy Ghost from moving amongst his church. And then finally, if he can't find it, he's like, you know what? I'm going to have to remove the lampstands. I just want to go directly to that, if that's okay. One thing that we need to we need to touch on here, um, as we kind of tone it down a little bit, and um, this really hits home with me because there's never going to be a perfect church. We need to just go ahead and get that out there. Uh, the only perfection that we have is being made whole in Christ. We are only righteous. We are only perfect through the blood of the Lamb. That needs to get stated. That is the most important thing you can take away from anything is that the only way for us to be righteous is through Christ. And if we're not, if we're not washed in the blood of the Lamb, then there's no way God will ever see us any other way than our flesh. 
So the only way we can be seen spiritually is through repentance and salvation in Christ Jesus and Yeshua, the Messiah. That's the only chance we have at being reconciled unto God. But the problem is that we live in a world that's so fallen. And the fact is, we are fallen. We are imperfect, especially because of this flesh. The flesh and the sin that entered into the world through Adam had to be taken out by Christ. That's why Christ had to die on the cross. He had to sacrifice himself to pay for our sins. But even though we've been made holy in God, we still have issues that we have to work through. No church is ever going to be perfect. And I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, hey, I'm an imperfect human being. I make mistakes even now, even saved by the grace of God. I still make mistakes. I still act in the flesh sometimes. And this is where this verse hits home. And this is the verse that BDK was just referencing here. And uh, this is this is in the book of Revelation. And, you know, a lot of pastors say, we don't want to we don't want to teach on Revelation. Either A, we're not going to be here for all that uh, or B. It's just metaphoric and it's no man can understand it. But that's that's a lie from from Satan right there. That is a lie from the devil, because every word of God is truth. Every word of God is profitable for us. We are to live by every word of God. And furthermore, the book of Revelation, folks, is the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing to the one who reads it and understands it. So right there, we need the book of Revelation. But we want to go to chapter two. This is this is the passage BDK was talking about. And uh, this this is the letter. Uh, this is the letter to the church of Ephesus. And this is Jesus talking here. This is so powerful. Jesus says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. Right off the bat, Jesus is saying there, there are good things. I recognize the good that you're doing. I see this. And you know what? The things that Jesus has said, many of us would say, hey, that sounds like me. But Jesus goes on. He says, and, and you have borne and has patience. And for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. He's saying you have worked hard for the gospel. Even when times get tough, you have worked hard and you have not fainted. But verse four, this is, this is heavy. Jesus tells us, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Here is a picture of a church who is doing everything right, everything, they are fighting evil, they're exposing wickedness, they're testing false teachers with the word of God and they're calling them out. But they had forgotten their first love. Consider this a warning to myself, to everyone in Remnant Revolution, to every one of you out there that's part of the Remnant Revolution. If you're just by by accident listening to this show, Consider this a warning if you're a believer. You can be doing all the things right and still lose track of the most important thing. Every last one of you listening right now, including everyone on the, on the panel, we have to be very careful that we don't forget our first love. This is one of those things that even the church at Ephesus had done. And Jesus was telling them all the good they'd done, all the good they've done, but they had left their first love. So no church is going to be perfect. 
even even the church that is preaching the word, standing up against wickedness, there are still going to be circumstances where they fall into temptation and they can easily forget their first love. So I wanted to bring this up because some of you are going to sit back and think that we're, we're just casting judgment on people. And that's not the case. In reality, that's the opposite. What we're doing is trying to show people what's going on in the churches because many of you have kids. Some of you have children in a youth group. Some of you can't find a church, but you're, you're going to find a church soon and your kids are going to be in a youth group. These are things we have to look out for. We cannot forget our first love. Sometimes we get so caught up in some of these issues that we do forget our first love. And Jesus is giving us a warning here. And he's even telling us, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Go back to the things that God has called you to do. Of course, you need to still call out evil. Of course, you need to expose wickedness. You need to try the false apostles. Try yourself. Make sure that your lives are matching up with the litmus test of scripture. So I just, I want to throw that in there, BDK, because I want to go right to the, to the actual text that you were referring to, because I know you and I talked about this before. It's, it's true. And if, can I, can I just do, can I do a closing prayer, Justin? Absolutely. Why don't you go ahead and, and, and close us out in some prayer there, BDK? As we close this episode in prayer, please remember what Justin said. It, it's, it's have I left my first love? Have I, ha, have I got the oil of the Holy Ghost in my lamp? Is it new? Am I living off of yesterday's glory? Or am I daily pressing in, running the race for my faith? Loving Jesus with all of my heart. And I'm going to pray for that, but I also want to pray for pastors. Because your pastors need your prayers. All pastors need prayers. As God's shepherds, they need help. They are being demonically targeted. Sometimes they don't even realize the extent of the demonic targeting that's coming against them. And if you find yourself in a church, you need to make it a daily point of contention in your heart to be praying for your pastor and his wife if he's married so that they have the courage to lead in godliness and to go back to the, a biblical church model of loving their people with an honest heart. So, Father, we just come to you in the mighty name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, and we just ask, Lord, that you do a work in our hearts because we are the church. And we are imperfect people. And sometimes we don't do what's right, we do what's wrong. And sometimes we don't always make proper time for you, Lord. But Lord, help us be an example of light and darkness. Lord, we get fired up about the the ungodly things that we hear and that we see. And hearing some of the stuff in this episode maybe got us all fired up. But then let that fired upness Just give us a a stone-cold desire to be different. Father, I want to be an example for the young people in my church or the young people that I come across. I want them to see my testimony. I want them to encounter God the way that I encounter God. God, give me an experience with you that's worthy enough to make someone else jealous. God, convict me of the times that I'm doing wrong and cleanse my heart so that I'm not double-minded, so that I can truly seek after you, that I can make a difference in this world, so that I can be pure and holy and call people to repentance. Holy Spirit, flow through my life, flow through everyone's life. 
so that we can be the church that you deserve, God, a bride that's worthy, that's holy without spot and wrinkle. We repent as a church for allowing these shenanigans to go on within our body. And Father, give us the holy strength to stand up against them, but to be a pure bride. Father, we pray for any pastor who may be listening to this. God forbid that this may even be going on in your church. Lord, give pastors a loving, tender heart. Let them not care about buildings or any of these other things, but give them a heart that really, really, truly desires to be a shepherd over the sheep. Give them a heart to stand against deception, to protect the sheep from their wolves that are at the door, and give them a desire to make disciples. Protect them and their families. Protect them and their wives from the demonic forces that are out after them, even the ones that were planted to go into their churches like we heard. Jesus, find life in these candlesticks, in these end times. Make us worthy of the calling that we're called to. And more than anything, come soon, Yeshua, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' holy name, amen. So, Father God, uh, I just I want to add to everything that my brother just prayed. And, uh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the remnant revolution, Father. I thank you that people are waking up. I thank you that people are realizing what's really going on in this world. Father God, we don't know how much time we have left, but we do know that for the time that you've trusted us with, we want to be laboring for your kingdom. We want to be sounding the trumpets. We want to be sharing the gospel. We want to be helping each other grow in accountability, Father. Lord God, I want to pray right now, if there's people listening who may be involved in a church where, where some of these things are going on, Father, we don't want to scare people to where they just want to run and hide in a corner. We don't want people to feel that they have to just leave a church. Father, I pray that you would give people the power through your Holy Ghost, that they would be able to pray and fast and go speak to the leadership in love with Scripture and to bring everyone to repentance, Father God. Just like we saw in Revelation 2, Father, that we could help people remember their first works. They could repent and return to those first works and return to their first love, Father. Lord, we... We just pray for the situations all around us, Lord, the political situations that are coming up, the situations that we find ourselves in daily. Father God, you have your hand on everything. We don't understand your timing, Father, but we pray that you would give us the strength and the vision and the empowerment to make it through these days and to not lose sight. Father God, I pray for the healing of people listening right now who may have a sickness or an ailment. Father, if there's cancer, Whatever it is, Lord, you know everyone's circumstances that they're going through. You know everyone's personal situations. I pray, Lord, that you would meet each listener right now where they are. I pray that you would give them the faith and the hope to petition you in prayer for healing, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint us all with your holy oil, that we would be healed and healthy to operate in your body with full capacity. Lord, we love you and we praise your holy, everlasting, righteous name. You are the name above names. You are the king above kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. We want to honor you and glorify you with all that we say and all that we do. We lift everything up to you tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua. Amen. 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 Amen.
Well, guys, it's been another awesome edition of Remnant Revolution on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. And as you can hear by my voice, I've toned it down quite a bit. Praise God, I'm I'm getting a little bit of peace over here. It's hard to talk about things like this without getting fired up. But what I'm hoping is that the information that we talked about tonight will be utilized to its maximum potential, that you will have talking points to talk with your kids, find out what's going on in the youth groups, that you'll be able to recognize things going on in even your local church. Therefore, you could stand up in a time where it's so hard to stand and you can help handle these situations in love. That's the goal. Well, until next week, ladies and gentlemen, God bless you with much grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. God bless and good night. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted His holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of His Word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, Only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4, T-H, 
www.wathradio.blogspot.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network.